Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. But even the idea of what's ahead, if we begin to move that direction, the enormity of the possible by Alfredo Jar says this, be afraid of the enormity of the possible. It sits in um, uh, art space and it's kind of in a corner and and, uh, and you can't see anything else around it. The idea is that in that space of change and future and what's ahead, there is this, there's this fear that begins to take over for us of what happens if I change? What do I lose? What gets disrupted? What, where do I step out of what I'm used to standing in? Where do, where do I have to change my posture or position? What, what changes in my relationships and the dynamics around me? What changes because there's so often in the enormity of what's possible on the horizon. Yes, it's unknown. It can be exciting, but it can also be a little bit scary. Not really sure. We resist change for a lot of reasons. And and we walk into a story that you just heard Caleb read uh, from the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, He says he's pointed his head, he's pointed his face towards Jerusalem, and that is the direction he's heading. We're in the second Sunday of Lent. Uh, As as Caleb been mentioned, we've been been praying every morning at 6.30 as we journey towards the cross. Easter weekend, just a few weeks from now. It's it's, it's everything for us to remember what Jesus did, but it's the journey towards it. It's the preparation for it. It's the, the mirroring of the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted. And we read this story of Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, these Pharisees, and we we have different views of Pharisees, don't we? We have different ideas of who Pharisees are and and what they're up to. And um, in most cases, we know Pharisees as like the bad guys in the story of Jesus. Um, There's some theories that that they weren't all bad guys. In fact, you find Jesus at a few of their tables. That Jesus wasn't averse to saying, yeah, let's sit down and have a meal together. And, 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 And Jesus just was like, if there's food on the table, Jesus was there. Jesus seemed to be a bit of a foodie. Jesus wanted to be around people. He withdrew and, and, and would take time away, but he would often come back. And, and Jesus was this, this person who wanted to sit at the table with people and enjoy a meal with people. In Jesus' name, we will not be dealing with trains for very much longer. I don't know why it's bothering me today, but today it's bothering me. Today, everybody breathe. Y'all relax. It's fine. Um, and and, and Jesus, Jesus was always willing to sit and get at the table with people. And so we have differing views. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but Pharisees had like different like levels. They had, you were like, you were judged upon who you were, like different, seven different levels of being a Pharisee. Like if you really made it through all the, all the, you know, the karate belts of getting up to the top Pharisee, you were like the real deal. And so there's all kinds of stages. So even within the Pharisees group, there were, there were kind of different ways of looking at each other and how they viewed each other. And Jesus seemed to be okay with Pharisees to the extent, to the extent that he also needed to correct and change the script, to flip the script. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and all of a sudden we see two Pharisees, or a couple Pharisees, show up to Jesus and they say, Hey, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. Herod wants to kill you. 
don't go there because, because Herod has plans for your life and, and they are not good ones. They are to end your life. Now there's two different ways to look at this. One would look at it as, as the Pharisees just trying to keep Jesus on the outskirts. That they just don't want him to get into Jerusalem because the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the Mecca of their people and their way of life, the closer he gets, the more ruckus he's going to cause and the more things he's going to do and, and the more tables he's going to flip and all this stuff's going to go crazy and they're going to have to deal with the mess of it. And there's, there's, there's the view that they're using this, this kind of fake concern to get Jesus to turn around. And then others would say that maybe these guys really did care about what happened to Jesus and they had maybe secretly begun to think highly of what Jesus was teaching and were saying, you need to, need to go back. As one commentary uh, says this, as Jesus threatened so much of what the Pharisees stood for, he cozied up to the very sinners and tax collectors whom the Pharisees shunned. He told stories that despite being a little hard to figure out, surely seemed to paint religious leaders in a bad light. In fact, the closer Jesus got to Jerusalem and to the very center of the temple establishment, the more threatened the Pharisees felt. Bad enough that Jesus caused a ruckus out in the sticks in Capernaum and Galilee, but they could not afford to have him within the perimeter of the temple. That would strike too close to home. Better get out of here, they said. Herod means you harm. But it was the harm Jesus could cause to them that was their real concern. See, the Pharisees in most cases, wanted to keep the status quo. How they had things was exactly how they wanted things. Even though ultimately it was not a good arrangement, even just 67 years later, 70 years later, would prove to be a very bad arrangement because Rome wouldn't put up with it anymore. A tragic turn of events just 60, 70 years after Jesus dies on a cross, that Jesus is coming into the space and, and they're going, no, 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 don't go. And they they kind of liked how things were set up. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't great, but it, but it wasn't all bad either. They kind of had the power. They kind of had the ability to do what they wanted. And, and, and they kind of just, they liked the script that they were currently living according to. Now, don't look bad at these Pharisees because the reality is that every single one of us have a script or we have something in our life that we don't want to change. We have a system in, in our lives that we don't really want Jesus to disrupt. Welcome to Lent, right? The opportunity to take inventory of our lives and realize that just like the Pharisees, we have things that it may not be the best, it may not be like really all that good for me, but it's, but it's not like terrible, you know? Like I can live here. I can kind of deal with this. And we all have those spaces and places in our life where Jesus comes into that space and comes into that place and he is about to change the script and we're not always sure that's what we want. And Jesus looks at these Pharisees and I love the response of Jesus. It kind of, it kind of, um, kind of destroys the myth that, that following Jesus was kind of a weak thing to do. I've never, thought, I've never really bought into that anyways. Um, but regardless, this one, this one really... Uh, throw some shade on that. And Jesus looks back at him and goes, you tell that fox. Now you guys are like, wow, really tough, Jesus, way to go. But fox, you guys ever heard the phrase, sly fox? Right? There's, and there's a connotation to it, right? Um, we're not talking like the fox and the hound fox. We're talking like, we, there's, there's a there's a connotation, and that same connotation exists here. When Jesus says, you tell that fox 
What he's talking about, he's talking about Herod. And he's saying to Herod, you go tell that one who's sly and deceitful and can get away with things and can do things and seems to be good at things. And, and it's really pretty amazing what he does. But, but I, know, I know what's going on behind the scenes. You tell that fox. Now, I want you to understand something. Jesus is, yes, in one sense, insulting the king, which is kind of a bad, bad idea. In fact, Herod has not done very poorly for the Romans at this point. Herod has done aqueducts. He's done a lot of really, really great things. The kingdom has expanded. Things are going well. Herod is not really one who is in bad favor with the people of Rome. So to throw an insult at Herod is not really like the greatest of ideas. But Jesus kind of knew what his mission was, and Jesus was on his way there and was not going to stop. And so Jesus says, you tell that fox. And here's the thing, though. He's not just insulting the king, which is like pretty awesome. The second thing he's doing is he's also giving you and I a warning. He's telling the people around these Pharisees that who Herod is, is a fox. And we tend to live in a world of foxes. We tend to live in a world of people who can do things and do well, and yet there seems to be something under the surface that isn't quite what it, what it looks like. The, 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 the public trust in institutions has been uh, decreasing for years. The public trust in politics has been decreasing for years. The, the public trust in just anyone in a position of authority has been decreasing for years. And in some cases, it's very much a valid thing that we are beginning to think less and less of the foxes in our life. And Jesus is looking at the king, the one who is in power, and saying to them, he is a fox. He is trying his best to let them know, do not, do not fall for it. Understand there will come a time where you discover who they really are and you will not like it. And Jesus is looking at this situation. He's got his disciples with him and he's got people that are always following him and he's got the Pharisees looking upon him and he's giving them a warning. This is not who you should be putting your trust in. This is not how you should be living. This is not who you should be living in accordance with. This is not, this is really not the kingdom that I intended to set up. And this is not the world that I wanted for you. Do not fall for it. And then he says a couple really interesting statements. A couple things that, that, um, that are really strong statements. And they tell us something about who Jesus is. That should encourage us and it should, should help us and as we walk and follow Jesus, verse 32, he says, go tell that fox, look, I'm driving out demons, performing healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will complete my work. Yet I must travel today, tomorrow, and the next day, because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. A couple big things happening here. Number one, that, verse, that word complete is not necessarily a singular word that only references Jesus. There is, a, there is a plurality to the word there that actually means that I'm doing this with someone, that Jesus and God are doing this together. God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit are doing, they're going to complete what they set out to do through the sacrifice and the life and the death of Jesus Christ. That's number one. Jesus has always pointed us to community. That never, ever stops. He's also saying that I'm going today and I'm going tomorrow and then on the third day and we all immediately jump towards Easter, but really this is a, a bit of a grander statement, just it's a telling of time that it was a, a kind of a colloquial thing to say that, that I'm going to finish what I started. 
I know you told me Herod has some things planned for me, and I know you said that I'm going to, to, to incur some harm, and I know something bad is going to happen, but what I have set out to do, I will finish. This is such a good thing about Jesus because, because we just read it in Hebrews, and we didn't, I didn't even plan that. Now I'm realizing that was perfect. But that when we look upon Jesus, what we find is a Savior who will not quit. I mean, Jesus had every opportunity from the 40 days being tempted to this moment with the Pharisees being told to turn around. He had every opportunity to say, yeah, let's do this a different way. I I didn't know that this is how it was going to go. I wasn't sure this is how it was going to be. But but Jesus, in his strength, in his perseverance, in his commitment to what he was there to do, continued to move forward to the very place that would going to be the place he died. But see, this is what's also awesome about our Savior, is he did not look at death as the end. You see, when we decide to follow Jesus, we die with Christ, that we might be resurrected with Christ, so that death is never the thing that determines for us how we live. MLK, in his, uh, when, when, he's incur- when he's approaching Selma Bridge and he's, he's about to do something in that moment, he's going to, to really change some things. He talks about this idea that, that I, am, I am not safe in the world, but I am safe in the arms of God. I am safe in heaven. He's making this decision that I am going to press on in this place because it is not this place that determines what my life will look like or be. See, we take on a different timeline when we step into the life of Christ. And we take on a different measurable for what life looks like and how it feels and what it should look like. Jesus begins to show us, even in this moment where danger is on the horizon, where he says, no, I'm not quitting because my mission is here and I'm not going to stop even though danger is in front of me. I love that about Jesus. I love that in Jesus I find one who would not give up on me. I find in Jesus one who would not stop even though he had every reason to stop because he only needed one reason to keep going. And that was you and I. Jesus came so that you and I might know life. It's a promise he made to Abram in Genesis 15, one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. When we first see the words, and Abram believed God. One of the first places we ever see that word believe. And Abram's struggling with, I don't know how you're going to do this. You said I'm going to have this, and you said I'm going to get this, and I'm not seeing any of it. And God doesn't all of a sudden show it. God decides to remind him of the promise he's made to him. He says, I'm going to see it. Listen, you look up in the stars, just count them. Look at the sand, count it. And I will give you what I told you I would give you. And then he makes covenant with him. And the really interesting thing about this covenant is usually in covenant, the power dynamics would, would say that the person who is gaining the most would be the one who would walk through the animals. I know there's a lot here, and I'm not going to expand on all of it. But that the, the, the one who is... The one who was receiving the most from the agreement would be the one who would walk through agreement because what they would be saying is, whatever I've committed to, if I don't do it, let that fall upon me. And you know in the Genesis 15 story, you know who walks through the covenant-making ceremony? God does. Abram stands and watches. We don't have any indication that Abram ever walks through the covenant ceremony. God does. This is what's so amazing about Jesus. It's so amazing about life in Christ. 
is that the promise God made to Abram that I would multiply happens when Jesus dies on the cross and opens up life to all people. I know I'm giving you almost like a course in Bible. Like, I get it. We could talk later. But, but what God is doing in this moment is reminding you and I that regardless of the situation or the circumstance, He is going to come to you. We are not trying to march through all the things to get to Jesus. How do we have perseverance? Because he did. How do we keep walking? Because he did. How do we keep standing up when we don't want to? Because he did. How do we keep waking up every day and get to? Because he did. He walked through this thing. He walked through the gauntlet for you and I. This is what we discover about Jesus in these moments is that he was going to make it through. And nothing could stop him. Not Herod, not the Pharisees, not the forces of hell itself will ever derail what Jesus is doing. Jesus never stops. Ruth Ann Reese says this, although Jesus is aware that he is traveling towards Jerusalem, a city with a hostile record towards prophets, his work will not be undone by death. Rather, it will be completed by resurrection. Death is not the end in a life of following Jesus. Death is not the end. Some of you need to hear that. We don't live according to when we die. We live according to the fact that we now always live. We have abundant, overflowing life in Christ Jesus. And we have found something to live for, not just something to be afraid of. And Jesus looks at these Pharisees and says, I'm not going to stop until my mission is completed. What I've got to do, I've got to do, and I will not stop. And then there seems to be this shift in the way Jesus is approaching this moment. He starts with, you tell that fox that I'm not stopping. You tell that one that thinks he has it all together and thinks he knows what to do and thinks he knows how this is going to go and thinks he's going to always be there and thinks he's going to, you tell that fox, I'm not done. And I'm going to keep going until I bring all of the earth back to what I've created it to be. I'm going to keep going. And then he does this. He says this interesting phrase. He goes from this like almost front-footed, I'm, gonna, I'm never going to stop, you tell that fox to back off, to, to this. He goes, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to bring you under the wings like a mother hen. Brings this, it's one of the, one of the places where, where Jesus it, it uses feminine language to, des, to, to describe who he is. And he uses this picture of the, of the hen, and he's saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that that phrasing, putting those together, is, is this, it's a very much an emotive thing. It is very much him going, I am heartbroken over what I see. In fact, there's an altar on the way into Jerusalem where there is a, a mosaic of a hen with chicks under their wings. And you look upon Jerusalem from this one altar. You look upon Jerusalem and you can remember Jesus looking upon the city where he is going to be rejected. And there had been, even though he says it, a prophet can't stop here. On many occasions, this city had shut down prophets. Why? Because they had a certain script. And at the time, it was working. And they had shut down multiple prophets, either to death or imprisonment. And so Jesus knows what he's walking into. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed, how I have so deeply wanted for you to come under the wings and be safe. To come under my protection 
just an incredible picture because what will happen with a hen is, is I, I found this out in my, as I was just kind of looking into this, that there's 24 different clucks. 24 different sounds a hen can make. Anyone grow up on a farm and know those sounds? Okay. The 24 different ones. And not only that, not only that, but they have, when it's danger, there's a certain set of sounds that a, a hen will make, but they have sounds for an aerial attack or a ground attack. And I will not, I looked them up on YouTube, I legit listened to the clucks of hens in my sermon prep this week. But they have an aerial attack and, and they make the sound and then open their wings and the goal is that the sound would get the chicks to come back into them. They would cover them up because if anything's going to happen, it's going to happen to them first. If anything's going to go on, it's going to go on like the mother hen bringing his people underneath their wings and saying, I am going to take the pain. I'm going to take the hurt. I'm going to take those things and deal with them. It's interesting, though. There was always a sound before there was protection. I just want you to think, Jesus has been going through all the villages and making a bunch of noise. He's been doing all he can to wake people up to the idea that there's a fox that you need protection from. If you really understand that the, the, these, these two pictures are meant to be put together, because what he's saying is there is a fox, and there will always be a fox, and there will always be foxes around, and I am to be like a hen who would bring you under my wings. And I would give you protection here. I would take the pain. I would take the hurt. I would take the injustice. I would take those things for you. I am willing. I'm willing to do this, to be there for you, to show up in your life, to, to be the one. He's, he is putting a very clear distinction between who he is and what he's come to do and who the kingdoms of this, of this world are. The empires of this world over all of history to gain their peace have always subjugated a particular group of people so that they might do what they came to do. It is what Easter is all about when Jesus rides in on a donkey and says, I ride in on a donkey where across town you've got an emperor who rides in on a horse. One comes with a cross to bring priests where I will lay my life down and another brings a sword where he will lay your life down if you disturb the peace. This is the message of the gospel. This is what it is. That Jesus would show up like a mother hen and bring you under her wings and say, I will protect you in all things and at all times. It's what we read in Psalm 27 that Alexa read. Verse 4, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. How many of you have ever heard that verse before? I've asked that, I, I, I was one thing that I could dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. How many of you have ever read that and not realized that the context of this is that there's fear and something's happening and battle is raging and things are going on and people are trying to destroy me and all, the, and all I want is to ask the Lord that I would dwell in His house because in His house is where I will find peace. You see it in the next verse. For He will. I ask for this, for He will conceal me in His shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Why is Jesus warning against a fox? Well, it's a very literal warning here. I've already mentioned this, but 70 years later, 
much of the Jewish people would have been wiped out. They tried to live in this arrangement for too long of kind of sort of being allegiant to Rome and sort of being allegiant to the laws of God and trying to do this kind of dance. How many you know that there's a time and there's a place where this kind of like trying to live in, in, in multiple kingdoms at one time, not only does it get exhausting, but it begins to eat away and disintegrate your soul. Because you got your mind over here and your will over here and your body over here and they are pulling away at one another. Why is your soul ripping apart? Because you put everything that makes up your soul in different buckets, different places and different kingdoms. And you don't think that they affect one another. You compartmentalize your life. And, and Jesus comes in and goes, there's always going to be foxes who can promise you this and promise you that and tell you this and tell you that. Just It's always going to be there. That is not to say that every authority is bad. It's not to say that every person is evil. That's I don't live in that world. I, I think we're all a little bit, <laughs> we all got a little things that we don't do well and some things we do well. And The thread of good and bad runs through every single one of us. We, we, are, we are not participating in some utopian dream that if we just get rid of a certain group of people, then all of a sudden life would be good because that is what every empire, every kingdom has ever tried to do. And it's never worked. It has never worked ever worked the only kingdom that has ever worked is the one where Jesus shows up and says come under the shelter of my wings let me take on this pain and this difficult let me take on this stuff and I will bring you into life and then he says this really kind of heartbreaking thing he says I longed for this I longed for it I wanted to bring you under my wings very last thing he says it's not the last thing sorry but of this phrase of this verse he says but you were not willing see some of us read these stories and we read these stories about Jesus and we get this weird idea that Jesus is both the fox and the hen it's not that's not how it is Jesus is calling you out from the empire or the kingdom of the fox so that you might be found in life and life abundant, that you might be found protected. And when, when these things strike and when these things come against you, he is already surrounding you with life and hope and grace. But you have to be willing. There is, there is a point in time where you and I have to make the decision to say this is what we want. That we have to be willing to come under the life of Christ. Psalm 20, verse 7 says this, and it's a it's fairly poignant for today. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The message translation says it brilliantly. It says, see those people polishing their chariots and those others grooming their horses? But we're making garlands for God our God. The chariots will rust. Those horses will pull up lame and we'll be on our feet standing tall. That's why Philippians, the end of Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul is telling people, hey, no, this is what God is going to do. He's going to renew your life. He's going to change your life. He's going to change everything. And in Philippians 4, 1, the very first verse, he says this. He says, don't forget this. Stand firm. Stay true in what I've told you. Don't let it go because you have a Savior who's staying true to you. But we have to say, I choose it. I'm willing. Not willing to earn it. 
not willing to somehow be approved by it, not willing to, but I'm willing to step into this thing because, man, I've, I've been burned by the foxes. I've, I've been a world surrounded by foxes who are promising all these things. And, and, and just in the last couple of years, we've found fox after fox after fox not being exactly who they said they were. And listen, let's be honest. Sometimes we are the fox too. Promise all kinds of things. And Jesus is saying to us, man, I want to bring you into a kingdom where the king is the one who takes on the challenges. The king is the one who takes on all the pain, takes on all the hurt. The king is the one. And you live surrounded by my wings. The prayer of Psalm 27, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord, for he will be my refuge. Who should I be afraid of? This is the pattern we learn in Jesus. That fear does not direct us or lead us or guide us. But in his wings, in his house, we are protected. We are made okay. We are made right. We are made healthy. We are made strong. As we journey towards the cross, as we journey towards resurrection and Easter weekend, we are to be people who recognize that he is always and ready to, to invite us in and that nothing, 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 nothing will stop him from getting to you. Nothing. Why don't you bow your heads? Lord, I thank you so much for today. God, I pray that you would uh, that you would right now help us with the places that we are unwilling. Help us with the places Lord, we believe, help us with our unbelief. God, the places where we know it's probably good for us, but we're not really sure we want to change. Maybe for some of us, we have a fear of what's possible, what might happen as we surrender. We are unsure. Or maybe for some of us, we are just kind of okay with the script that we're living according to. But Jesus, you come in and you say, no, 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 no. systems of this earth are, are going to someday disappoint. The chariots you're trusting in will someday rust. But God, your God, God, your God will still be king. He will stay, still be standing and he will still be in pursuit of you. God, I just lay down everything in my life right now. And you can pray this in your own way. Pray this in your own words. God, I lay down everything right now that I've been unwilling, unwilling to let go of. God, I, 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 um, I choose to hear the noise you've been making, the voice you've been speaking, the words you've been saying to us. But I choose to hear that. I choose to listen to it. God, and I step into it. God, I don't have to endure all of these things. I don't have to deal with deceit and the slyness. I don't have to deal, no, I'm going to step into the wings of one I can trust. Because nothing will ever change you. So God, I surrender. God, I surrender. I surrender all of who I am, everything that I have.
everything that I've held, even the things I know aren't good for me. God, I lay them down. So I might walk into the fullness of the life you have.